A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide. Here to Gabriel with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode is sponsored in honor of the release of the first Sefer of its kind. This is the writings of the Av Beit Din of the city of Hamadan, Iran, Rabbi David or David Sassoon Rabban, and in honor of his son, Sion Rabban, may he have nachat from his children. This unique sefer includes a whole section on the minhagim and halacha of Iranian Jewry, and is a must for anyone who wants to know more about the legacy of the Chachamim, which lived in Iran throughout the generations. This sefer is published by Machon Magenavot Publishing House, who, although normally primarily focuses on Moroccan halacha, but this was a project unique, and due to its uh, uniqueness, it, it, it is going ahead and publishing this book uh, from Iranian um, rabbinical uh, life as well, and is available on their website, moroccanhalacha.com, along with all the other svarim by Machon Magenavot. Um, which I go on this website uh, often. It has some fantastic uh, stuff uh, about Moroccan halacha, and now it's going to have on Iran also, on uh, David Sasson Rabban. In Israel, it can be obtained in Sifriya Hasfaradit in Yerushalayim and Rechov Bukharim, number four, Rechov Bukharim. I already got my copy of this book. Um, i got to say, besides for being a great halachic sefer, it uh, provides a window into Iranian rabbinic life in modern times and has an overview of Iranian Jewish history from ancient times and Persian Jewish customs. And it's a really a fantastic uh, historical overview as well, as well as a biography of the author. Um, obviously, the biography and the history parts is the ones that I read. I didn't yet get to the halacha. Um, but I believe that many of our listeners would love this new sefer, and I highly recommend it. Um, so we're going to speak about Iranian Jewry, a bit of an overview as well. And I'm going to try to speak a little bit about the biography specifically of this fascinating um, individual who, as far as I know, is somewhat unknown. In general, Iranian uh, Persian Jewish history is something to talk about. It's uh, not, not discussed enough, and it's uh, very interesting. One of the oldest Jewish communities in the world. Um, so... I think that uh, Iranian Jewish history, being that it's so old, and there's so much to discuss, that this is only going to be, we'll call it a part one, 
And uh, hopefully there'll be a part two soon. Uh, sponsorships are available, and you can contact me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com. Um, and also, not just about a Iranian injury, but other Sephardic Jewish communities who want to get more involved in this interesting and important uh, subject matter. Um, in fact, the primary story of, Iran, of uh, Persian Jewry is in Iran. And interestingly enough, Iranian Jews were not always in Great Neck, Los Angeles, Baltimore, or even in Israel. They actually were in Iran itself. So it's good to talk about how this ancient Jewish community developed. And since Purim is coming up soon, so of course that's an Iran story, Paras, the Persian Empire, Shushan, all that is in today's Iran. And as soon as I saw an opportunity to discuss the history of Persian Jewry, I ran for it. And I apologized for my corny humor. So the the um, Iranian Jewry is one of the oldest Jewish communities in the world. They're there from the first Beis HaMikdash. Literally living in the same cities, same synagogues, the same communities up until today. There is an influence um, of course, like every Jewish community in North Africa and the Middle East, there is an influence of Sephardic Jewry following the Spanish expulsion in 1492, but primarily it is an ancient community and it's uh, and it remained independent. Um, so the the uh, it's like it must be like you know 25, 27, 2800 years old, and a very very uh, old. Uh, Jewish community, and 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 what's even more interesting is that unlike its neighbor Iraq, which is Iraq was the ancient Bavel Babylon, and and Iran was the ancient Paras uh, Persia. So you have these two ancient Jewish communities, um, and uh, but unlike Iraq, where no Jews uh, live anymore, today there's still an active Jewish community in Iran. So it has this consistency to it, which is probably unmatched anywhere else outside of the land of Israel itself. Um, and you even have like biblical uh, characters who are who lived and are buried there. Mordechai and Esther, Daniel, uh, Chavakuk the Navi. In fact, I live on Rehov Chavakuk in Beit Shemesh, so it's definitely a kever that I would like to visit someday. Um, and Chavakuk's uh, kever exists in Iran till today. I have not yet had any groups that requested an Iran tour, but hopefully someday we'll get around to it because there's so much history there and lots of it is still intact. Uh, So there's ancient, there's recent, and it's a very interesting story. There's always the question whenever we discuss Iran about where is Shushan. We're going to talk about the city of Hamadan where Rabbi David uh, Sasson Rabban lived and was an old Jewish community there as well. So Mordechai and Esther are presumably buried there. It seems that their kever is still intact, or allegedly still is, or Iranian Jewry throughout the generations believed that that's what it was. It may even actually be their kever, who knows. But um, they're buried there, but it does not necessarily mean that that city is Shushan. In fact, many mistakenly did believe that Hamadan was Shushan, when in fact there's another city, further south in Iran, um, which is 
the real uh, Shushan. I forget the name of it uh, right now, and of course I forgot to put it in my notes. It doesn't. Well, whatever, whatever I forget, we'll just say it's going to go into part two. That will make it easy. Um, so you have this this settlement from the time of, like I said, uh, the, the the base of Mikdash, and then in um, the times of Chazal, the times of the Gemara, Ravina and Ravashi, it seems, lived in the area that's now Iran, in Persia, the times of the Ga'inim, the Rabbanan Svairai, there was a you know a large amount of Jewish presence there, so it's like Bavel is right nearby, so there's this spillover that always lives in Iran as well. And that is the ancient period until we get to the Muslim conquest of the, eighth, uh, the 7th century, rather. And during the 7th century, there's the Muslim conquest, and the Jews uh, being let, they were non-Muslim, eventually they, they, you know, they received Dimi status, they're, you know, second-class citizens like Christians, like the other tribes that lived there that did not convert to Islam, but, but they flourished. They did very well during that early period. In fact, it was said that between the cities of Isfahan and, and Shushtar in Iran, it was, it was such a large Jewish settlement that the whole area at that time, you're talking about the Middle Ages, uh, was called Yahudistan, Jewish, uh, you know, the Jewish country, Yahudistan, which would be be really really funny if there was a country in that area t- today called Yahudistan, um, to go with all the other stuns that are in in the in that Central Asia uh, area. There's a Mongol conquest in the 13th century, which doesn't last a long time, but then it reverts soon back to. Uh, Islamic control, but the Muslim reconquest, reconquest in 1502 introduces Shia Islam for the first time. And Shia Islam, the Shiites, uh, different than the Sunnis, they, they, there are further restrictions on Jewish life in Iran, and, uh, and in their contacts with the Muslim majority, limitations on commerce, uh, they were forced to wear a special badge that uh, signified them as non-Muslim. These were all non-Muslims, though not only Jews, and um, it became uh, became quite difficult during those times. And what's fascinating, a fascinating and tragic aspect of Iranian Jewish history, that there was a lot of conversion over the centuries, over the next, from the 1500s, until literally the 20th century, until the 19, late 1800s, early 1900s, talking about a period of, of several hundred years, about 400 years, there's many conversions, sometimes forced conversions, Muslim, different Muslim imams and rulers, and very often it was localized, it was in a specific city, it was during, after, after some incident that happened, um, and the Jews were forced to convert to Islam. And that would be the end of the Jewish community there. Very often it was um, out of desperate circumstances, and it was not necessarily to the Muslim religion. It was to Christianity, it was to what later emerged in the 19th century, a new religion, the Baha'i faith, which started in Iran. Today it's all over the world. They have an, One of the main centers is actually in Israel, in, in, in Haifa, the Baha'i Gardens, but it was a religion that in, that enticed many Jews and and persec- because of both persecution and uh, to get de- out of desperation to get out of poverty and all all 
all sorts of other desperate circumstances, many uh, Iranian Jews over the centuries were, were, you know, went into conversion, either as a last resort or out of coercion. And that this, this had a very, very detrimental effect, naturally, on the Persian Jewish community. Uh, you had Jews living in secret. You know, similar to what we're familiar with, the conversos in Spain, you had the same idea. They obviously didn't use a Spanish name for it in Iran, but we could, we could call them in a Hebrew name, anusim, uh, forced ones. They were forced to live in secret. There were entire Jewish communities living in secret. And this becomes a new reality over the, these centuries, from the, from the 16th through 19th centuries. Um, and in many parts of Iran, there are these uh, conversions and sometimes uh, Jews living in secret, secretly as Jews. Though there were times, in, or in other parts of Iran, at the same time. Again, this could be uh, at the same time, different parts of the country. If you look, even, at, even today, if you look at a map of Iran, it's quite a large area. In Persia, uh, you know, the borders fluctuate also, so it's hard to know the exact exact uh, parameters of where the Jewish community residences were. But um, there were t- places where they did prosper economically, the textile trade, other types of merchandise. They presi- primarily resided in secluded neighborhoods in the cities, which were areas that were designated specifically for Jews. It was actually an Iranian version of the medieval ghetto from uh, Europe. And the Jews often lived in great poverty and among uh, persecution. Now, Persian rabbis throughout history maintained rabbinical contact with senior rabbis in Iraq and the land of Israel. Primarily Iraq and the land of Israel. Iraq, where which was aristocracy of the Torah world in the Sephardic, uh, the Sephardic Torah world. So the the uh, you know the, the the it was the greatest place of Torah study and. And, and rabbinical leadership in Iran, the Iranian Jewish community relied heavily on that and also their contacts in the land of Israel. Most Persian Jewish custom followed that of Iraqi Jewry, or what we would call Minhag Bavel, Babylonian custom. Um, as far as commerce, Persian Jews were in contact with Jewish communities in the Ottoman Empire, but with the increased persecution in the 19th century, Iranian Jewish leaders reached out to European uh, Jews to to the European Jewish communities as well to to ask for assistance in, in their dire straits, including even sending an emissary to Moses Montefiore in 1840 and to other Jewish Jew, uh, other European Jewish communities as well. The crucial point uh, to understand about um, the situation of Iranian Jewry in the in those during those several hundred years. Um, is that is that Iran was never under the Ottoman Empire. Jews flourished, for the most part, in the Ottoman Empire, and outside of the Ottoman Empire, Jews did not flourish, to say the least. Uh, the Ottoman Turkish Empire was, was relatively a great place. Again, everything is relative in Jewish history. There's no place that was that fantastic, but relatively... It was um, it was a, it was a very you know uh, pretty 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 good place to be um, economically religiously um, and Iran being outside of that with the local government being quite hostile to the Jews for the most part um, therefore that had a very negative uh, adverse impact on uh, uh, the development of Iranian Jewish life over the centuries especially in the modern era. Uh, the influence uh, in general on the, of the Ottoman Empire in Jewish history cannot be overstated and is a topic which must be returned to at a future point. So that will leave 
for another time because now we're back in Iran. So there's a lot that that get that changes towards the late 19th century and the early 20th century, both internal changes and external changes as far as the Iranian Jewish community is concerned. Um, first, the, the external changes is that, that the Jewish people discovered Iran, and the Jewish uh, organizations um, they 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 see the needs that Iranian Jewry has, and they come to its assistance. Uh, first and foremost was the Alliance, the French Jewish organization, uh, founded on the premise that the Jewish people is all one and responsible for each other. The Hebrew name of the Alliance was, of course. Kol Yisrael Chaveirim, Kiach, and the Alliance is into building schools and infrastructure and lobbying governments for equal rights and emancipation for Jews worldwide. And they invest in Jewish education in Iran and come to the Iranian Jewish community's assistance in many areas, starting from the late 1800s. Other international Jewish organizations from Western Europe as well, foreign consuls, which are posted to Iran, are... Uh, occasionally you know, speaking up uh, for, uh, for equal rights or at least not abuses of the Jewish residents of Iran. The, uh, the French Jewish leader Adolf Cremieux, I mentioned Moses Montefiore, and other people like that, but primarily those two, they are, um, in, you know, they lobby government officials to better the situation for Iranian Jewry. There's educational uh, infrastructure being built, there's um, uh, reform. Uh, p- political reform, in other words, for to, to obtain equal rights for Iranian Jews. And that is a process that begins in the late 1800s and continues into the early 1900s until finally they receive it, uh, equal rights uh, with the rise of the Pal- Palhavi uh, dynasty in the early 1900s. Um, so, uh, Pal- Palavi, I think I pronounced that right. And that's the internal change that takes place. The Pahlavi dynasty begins in the 20th century. The Shah of Iran and his family. Um, it's the end of the persecution of the Jews. There are reforms. Uh, the Shah was considered a friend of the Jews. We'll check that in a second if he actually was. But uh, he was considered a, a, a you know, relatively more, more, more friendly to the Jews and willing to, uh, to uh, you know, remove many of the restrictions that were in place from before, but as late as 1910, there was a ritual murder charge against the Jewish community of Shiraz. In other words, a blood libel and a mob-induced pogrom uh, followed. Uh, tens of thousands of, uh, of Persian Jews immigrated to the land of Israel and other countries around the world during the last decades of the 19th century and early decades of the 20th. And this, of course, corresponded to the years of the great emigration from from the Russian Empire as well, ironically. So you're talking about at the same time, there's emigration from many Jewish countries um, happening pretty more or less at the same time. Um, Some, there was internal migration. Many moved to Tehran, to the new capital, uh, to be near the Shah, uh, because he was considered friendly to the Jews and they'd enjoy his protection. So that, because of that community such as Hamadan, uh, where Rabbi David Sasson Rabban was, went into decline. Um, this was where, and, and Rabbi, David Sassoon, Rabbi David Sassoon Rabban himself, uh, towards the end of his life, at the end of a long rabbinical career in Hamadan, he moves to Tehran, where his children all lived, and the Hamadan Jewish community had significantly shrunk, so he himself moves to Tehran. So that's where 
the primary Jewish community of Iran came to be. Uh, the pre-war Shah was suspicious of Zionism. He was a Nazi sympathizer who knew Hitler, so he wasn't exactly the best friend of the Jews either. But um, you know they had to maintain a careful balance. The size of the Jewish com- Jewish community in in Iran it, it uh, peaked in the 20th century uh, before immigration uh, immigration uh, you know made it made it significantly smaller. It peaked at somewhere between 100 and 150,000. We don't have a good census of exactly what it was, but it was that's that's the largest it got. So it wasn't exactly the largest Jewish community in the world, but it definitely was of a significant size. And they lived all over Iran. They had a very developed religious life, shuls, customs, uh, limited Jewish education, quite limited Jewish education, and also limited Jewish uh, Torah leadership which I'll get to in a second. Um, they had a, a, uh, a very religiously observant Jewish community, but not a high level, in many cases, very low level Jewish education. They have a reputation somewhat for a low level of Jewish education, and unfortunately, that has come to paint an inaccurate picture of uh, that, 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 that many, many, many believe that there was also a low level Jewish observance, uh, there was not much of a scholarly presence. There were no na- big name rabbis. Not many Torah works were published there, especially in comparison with its neighbors in Iraq and Syria, which were, which were fortresses of Torah life and of rabbinical life, and many famous rabbis and yeshivas and uh, and and you know famous uh, famous rabbinical leaders came from Iraq and Syria or further out in Turkey and Greece. Um, you know, also as well, but in Iran there was much less. So there is this stereotype: is the stereotype true, or does it need to be, uh, you know, qualified a bit? So it's somewhat true, but it definitely needs to be qualified because there was a very uh, strong Jewish observance, and there were some very important rabbinical leaders who were not so famous, uh, but uh, for the most part it was definitely much less than some of its neighbors. So as far as it is true, the question is, why is that so? What are the reasons? What's going on in the background of Iranian Jewry during the last few centuries that would result in this weak form of Jewish traditional life? So first of all, like I mentioned, there was all this persecution and anti-Semitism, which was much less so in the lands of the Ottoman Empire. Unfortunately, Jews in, Iran's, Jews in Iran always endured um, anti-Semitic pogroms and... and, and uh, um, in you know conversions, um, you know, like I said uh, about converting to Islam, or or um, the Baha'i Baha'i was missionaries. They actually had active missionaries who went out of their way to treat Jews well, hoping that the Jews would willingly convert to the Baha'i faith, and many did so. There was grinding poverty. Now all these issues are related. Uh, they were very extremely poor. In this resulted in Jewish children being enrolled in non-Jewish schools simply to be fed in, you know, in public schools. And additionally, they could not afford to pay the rabbis of their communities. So they were not able to have prestigious rabbis. They were not able to bring in any prestigious rabbis or even develop them. Um, the rabbis that they did have were not paid a salary. The rabbis had to work instead of, the, instead of spending their time uh, engaging and leading their communities, the rabbis, uh, you know, couldn't 
study Torah as much or write books or write Sfarim as much as they could in other countries because the rabbis in Iran had to have their own jobs as well in order to survive. Also, you live next to a place like Iraq for millennia. Um, in Bavel, Iraq was Baghdadi Jewry, was the, was the center, it was a, such a Torah center. You know, we're talking about in modern times, they had the Beni Shchai for 50 years was the rabbi in Iraq. So the Jews of Iran just always depended on neighboring Iraq, and when relations were not good with the, between the two countries, so then there was less contact between Iran and Iraq, and that, of course, adversely affected the Iranian Jewish community as well. Um, so the, all these reasons together made a, 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 a unusual uh, a, a low level of Torah scholarship uh, for sure for the masses, and it even infect, it even affected uh, the, the there to be widespread Torah scholarship amongst the rabbinical leadership as well. It of course changed in the 20th century, especially when Otsar HaTorah was founded, it was brought to Iran, and there's a fascinating figure in the Ritzvah like Meir Levy, who was who was European, who was uh, from uh, Poland or. I forget which country, I think Poland, um, and he, he established Aitzar Atayra schools throughout Iran, and he saved he saved the Iranian Jewry, built the building schools, teaching Torah, building infrastructure, and um, and that that was that's also an interesting story. So there are some great Torah leaders who did come from Iran. Um, in fact, the, the, the two of the greatest uh, Torah leaders in the state of Israel have Iranian. Ancestry, Rabbi Sion Abba Shaul, his parents were Iranian immigrants, and Rabbi Leo Bakshi Daron, the late uh, chief rabbi of the state of Israel, also was from Iran. So, one example of a great Torah scholar who lived in Iran in modern times and had a great impact on the Iranian Jewish community was Chacham. In, in, actually, in Iran, they called the, uh, a rabbi Mola, M O L A. Mola. So he was Mola David Sasson Rabban. And he was born in 1879, lived a very long life. He passed away in Tehran in 1974. And he's a profile of an Iranian Torah leader in modern times. He came from a rabbinic family. His father was a rabbi. His grandfather was a rabbi. Very prestigious uh, family of Torah leaders. But like all rabbinical families, they had to have a business as well. They were in the textile industry, and he himself joined the family business before pursuing a career in the rabbinate. And Hamadan, where he lived and grew up and lived almost for most of his life, he had a rabbinical position in a couple of other cities before he returned to Hamadan upon his father's passing in 1930 and assumed his uh, father's position as the chief rabbi of Hamadan and of all its accompanying uh, uh, shuls, synagogues, in, in the Batei Knesset in the city. So Hamadan was one of the only cities in Iran which was able to boast of being able to provide a nominal Jewish education. It even had something of a yeshiva for higher Jewish education as well. So he had, unlike what most Iranian Jewish students were not able to have, they only got minimal Jewish education to know how to daven and basic chomesh and mishnayis. So he was able to get a bit of a higher Jewish education. He was able to study more. And then, like many promising young rabbinical students in Iran throughout the centuries, he's shipped off to Iraq to learn in the yeshivas over there. And he comes back, you know, he received smicha, and he's a rabbi now. He comes back to uh, to um, to Iran, and he uh, he uh, 
He was a rabbi in a couple of other cities, um, in, in Tuisir Khan, and, and then he returns to Hamadan. Um, his impact, is, his sphere of influence is, is uh, not just in Hamadan itself, um, and, not only, and not even locally in Iran, but he corresponded with rabbis all over. Um, within Iran, he most of the letters in this sefer that I that 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 I mentioned earlier, the sefer that's being published now, are from villages and cities, shilas and shuvas, correspondence, responsa in all areas of halacha, and he seemed to have been quite proficient in all areas of halacha in cities from across Iran. But then he also is corresponding with rabbis in Iraq, rabbis in the land of Israel. Um, so he he was able to get around, um, and there is and and we see also through these responsa that he wasn't the only rabbi in Iran. Again, we have to you know change this stereotype in people's minds that Iran didn't have a significant rabbinical leadership of its own because he's corresponding with rabbinical courts, Batei Din and Molas. These these chachamim, these Iranian rabbis from all over. Every city has a chief rabbi, has a bezdin. And you're talking about agunas and gitten and divorce law and, and, and everything that rabbis in worldwide speak about. So definitely had, even if some of these people were not uh, famous. Um, you also, it's another interesting insight is that there's customs of Iranian Jewry which become apparent through the reading of his responsa. And uh, Rabbi David Sassoon's uh, work serve as a testimony to the fact that ancient Jewish customs which are usually no longer practiced throughout the diaspora, were still practiced in mid-20th century Iran. Remember, he passes away in 1974 and remains in Iran to the end of his life, even when most of the Iranian Jewish community emigrates. They go all over, many of them to, to the state of Israel after it's founded in 1948, and many of them to the United States. Um, and he stays and he and he's writing about customs that are still observed, and these are old Iranian customs um, from from Talmudic times. Um, and these are uh, like um, polygamy uh, was still practiced by Jewish Iranians. Yibum was still practiced, which is related to that. Uh, so he he you see you get it very like it's a nice window. And what's interesting and unique about the Iranian Jewish community is that although it did have a lot of influence from Sephardic custom, from Sephardic culture after the expulsion, but they retained, because they were this stable community that remained for so many thousands of years, um, from pre, you know, prehistory almost, from before there was the Sephardic Jewry even, therefore they have a lot of uh, customs which are quite unique to Iran itself. Now, the Yitzhah HaTayra school, which had been founded by Rabbi Chilmeir uh, Levi, which I mentioned earlier, so the one who taught, the, basically the Rosh Hashiva of the Yitzhah HaTayra in Hamadan, was the rabbi, Mola uh, David Sasson Rabban. So he, uh, so he he has the title Mola, he's the chief rabbi. He also has the title Rosh Hashiva of the Yitzhah HaTayra Yeshiva. He also, it's interesting, in one of his, his uh, smichas or something, he has the title Haj which was given to people who made a pilgrimage to the land of Israel. And if the term sounds familiar, it's because it's similar to what the local Muslims gave to people who made the pilgrimage to Mecca, the Hajj to Mecca. So if you were one of the privileged people in Iran, who during in your youth, you, know, um, you were able to make a pilgrimage to the land of Israel, so you had Hajj 
attached to your name also. Part of his responsibilities as um, as uh, as rabbi of Hamadan was because the tomb of Mordechai and Esther of Purim fame were in or are in Hamadan. So the rabbi's responsibility was to maintain their grave. He would visit there every Friday, and there was a shul attached to the grave in those days. I don't think it's there anymore. And they used to have a minion there, and he would uh, be responsible for the maintenance and daven there. And uh, so that's uh, you know another uh, another uh, cute uh, tidbit of, of of Iranian Jewish life, being able to be in Mordechai and Esther's tomb on every Friday afternoon. Um, so that is part one of Iranian Jewry, especially about Chacham Mola David Sasson Rabban. And I hope you enjoy his new Sefer. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. And I hope you enjoyed.